You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1463. Today's tip is a conversation I had with Joanna Sheehy, a lawyer and equestrian, about what to have in a sales contract. while back, a young lady named Joanna Sheehy contacted me and said, hey, I'm a lawyer. I could talk about lawyer topics on your podcast. And I said, come on over. So welcome to the show, Joanna Sheehy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to we're going to start out with your horsey background, because hello, we're horsey people here. And all of the professionals we hire in our lives, whether or not they have anything to do with a horse, need to be horsey people. What's your horsey background? So my horsey background is um, I've been riding and owning horses since I was a little kid. Um, I started riding when I was about six years old and really just kind of never stopped. (laughs) Um, and, and, And that's actually one of the things that I've really enjoyed about my equine law practice is that I'm getting exposed to different areas of the equine industry, barrel racing, rodeo, the hunter jumpers, dressage, and illusions. Um, it's even though, you know, the equine world sounds very niche, there's such variety and it's really, it's really fun to get to learn about the different aspects of the, the industry and different uh, particular particularities to go with every breed and every discipline. Awesome. So topic today, things that you need to make sure are in a sales contract when you sell a horse, that's going to be pretty darn useful. It doesn't matter what kind of horses you have, don't have, what kind of riding you do, whether or not you even ride at all. When it comes to selling a horse, there are certain things that you need to cover. So what are they? So I think kind of overarching all of this, I'm going to say get it in writing. <laughs> yeah. Like a yeah. A handshake doesn't cut it, does it? Piece. No, it really doesn't. Um, And I will say handshake agreements in the equine industry are incredibly common. You know, I mean, going back decades, hundreds of years even, that's how business was done. And to a large extent, that's still how it's done today. I don't recommend it, though. Uh, Handshake agreements end up um, usually leading, unfortunately, to disputes differences of memory, differences of interpretation as to what was agreed to. And so just as a primary basic tip, please try to put it in writing. Um, And there's five things that I'm going to talk about today that I think can go into any sales contract. It doesn't take long. And I think hopefully including these, and some of them are really basic, but it will hopefully save hurt and heartache down the line. Um, and maybe even a little bit of money if you have to, <laughs> don't have to go to an attorney. Um, and of course, uh, before I kind of go into any of these, I'm going to say it's always a good idea to have an attorney involved in reviewing contracts. But of course, that's not always practical. It's not always possible. Um, and so these are these are five tips that I think, um, you know, really anyone can even write down on the back of a piece of paper um, to form some type of an agreement. Um, so the first one, again, very basic. Who are the parties? You want to make sure that the parties to the transaction are clearly identified who is the seller and who is the buyer. And along with that, this is a really good time to make sure 
that the party who's selling the horse is actually the party that's on the registration papers. You know, sometimes horses get sold, registration papers don't get updated. And so this is a good point in time in the transaction to try to, to try to get all those things clarified and get things on the right track because you don't want there to be any question as to ownership, particularly, you know, you're, if you're buying a horse, you want to make sure that it's going to be very clear that you are the rightful owner. So I think the first, the first piece to include is the parties to the contract. All righty. Step one. Another piece of that is going to be just if there's an agent involved, make sure that you've confirmed that the agent is actually authorized to represent the seller. So that's uh, in certain industries, agents get involved. And yeah. And so you want to make sure that that agent is authorized. (laughs) Yeah. So that's uh, that's piece number one. I think piece number two is another no brainer here. The horse. Um, you want to make sure that you have clearly identified the horse, not just the barn name. If there's a more formal show name, if you, uh, if, if the horse is registered, registrate, which registries, what those numbers are. I usually like to include a description of the breed, the color, the sire, the sire and the dam and the sex of the horse. So that, again, that's pretty self-explanatory, not too complicated. The third piece that I think needs to be included is the price. Again, that it goes without saying, but I think you want to dive a little bit deeper, not just the price, but also are, what are the terms, right? So is there going to be a wire transfer? When is that going to be made? Is, are there going to be installment payments? What is the schedule going to look like? If there are going to be installment payments, what's going to happen if a payment is missed? Who's going to maintain the ownership until the horse is paid in full? Um, you know, these are these are questions that you want to be thinking about before you complete the transaction, and make sure that everyone's on the same page again to prevent if there's a to prevent any disputes in the future, so that everyone knows what they're signing up for. Another thing that I always, always, always recommend in terms of the price and um, payment is that if you're paying in cash. And hopefully you wouldn't have a problem because you're going to have this wonderful written contract that will go with your sale. But in the event that you don't, if you're paying in cash, please make sure to get a receipt. If there's a cash transaction and you hand over your money and then there's later a dispute that, well, actually you, you didn't give, you only gave me, you gave me $10,000. It was actually the, the price of the horse was sold five. You know, if without that piece of paper to document that exchange of hands, it's going to, again, be very difficult to prove. And so you always want to make sure that if you're paying in cash, you're going to get a receipt that where both parties acknowledge the exchange of hands and the amount of money that traded hands. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, you did pay me. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. Don't you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> remember that nice lot of cash that I gave you? Yeah. Um, really, really important. Um, the next piece is warranties. And so what warranties are, are there promises that are made and they're legally enforceable promises. So at the, the most basic level of warranty that you would like to, I'd like to see in a contract is that the seller is the owner of the horse and that the seller has the authority to make that sale. Oh, well, let's let's buyer, stop there. Let's stop there a yeah. second. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, we said, make sure you have written down the parties, the buyer and the seller. Correct. So. Not only do you have to have the name, the proper name, and hopefully the address uh, and the proper legal mm-hmm. address of the buyer and the seller, 
the seller, you have to make sure that that seller acknowledges or has acknowledged that they have the legal right to sell that horse. Yeah. Because that's different than just saying who they are, isn't it? It's very different. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because exactly. It's 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 different. Saying, Oh, I'm selling you this, that is a different that's a different representation than saying I own this horse and I'm allowed to sell it to you. Um, and of course, you know, as I mentioned, we talked about agents briefly. Sometimes an agent is going to be the one who's going to do this transaction, but you still want to make sure that it's clear in the contract that the agent is acting on behalf of the seller and that the seller is the rightful full owner of that horse. You know, that is the horse owned in partnership. Well, you, again, you certainly want to make sure that in the contract, it's very clear as to who has the horse and that they're authorized to sell it. You now, know, I have, uh, because I have a quick question mm-hmm. here. Because I was just I was just reading a story about a horse that's you know gone AWOL because it was it was it was borrowed, given away, now it's disappeared, blah blah blah. So we have an agent. Agent Fred is selling Thunder to prospective buyer Sarah. Fred says, I'm the agent and I have the legal right to sell this horse to you for the owner. Is it important in that contract to say specifically who the owner is? I would. I I, I think that I, I, I like to include that because I would also likely reach out to the seller to confirm yeah. um, that there is, in fact, this agency agreement. Um, well, you that's, know, why, and, that's and why I was curious, because if you have a, a, an agent who is a little bit less than honest, or in this case, maybe a lot mm-hmm. less than honest, he can just say right. that, oh, yeah, I have permission to sell Thunder. And then nine months later, you see Thunder's owner, previous owner, at a horse show, and, and they say, um, why are you riding my horse? Because they didn't really have an agreement. Now you're kind of stuck as the person you bought Thunder. Do you really own Thunder? Ah, see. Well, and, and that exactly. And this is this is these are the, the types of problems that we try to avoid when we have these written agreements. So that's what could um, happen you know, if you have an agent exactly. who doesn't say who the owner really is. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, and, and why making that representation in the contract? You know, the seller is making a promise that he has the authority um, and is able to do that. So there is legal recourse, but but we now there's now we have a, a legal fight. Now we have attorneys involved. Now you know things are starting to go downhill, and we have a horse. We have two two families that believe that they own Thunder, and there's only one of Thunder. Um, so, <laughs> well, now, now, and then now you've ended up with a case of he said, she said, because the if there was no agree, if there was no written agreement between the agent and the we're going to say previous owner, then mm-hmm. the previous owner says, no, 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 I didn't give you permission to sell Thunder. And then the agent says, well, yes, you did on that conversation we had at the restaurant on Thursday night. So, exactly. Oh, that could get so messy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and that's on the and that's on the seller side. You know, that's you. you that's a that's a whole other <laughs> that's another contract we need to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll say we'll do that but, next time. Um, we'll do that next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For next time, but no, you know these are, and this is another reason why you know handshake agreements they they can just lead to trouble down the road because and all of us in the horse industry we know that there's agents we know that there's you know lots of 
sometimes there's side deals, there's this deal, there's that deal. And when you start incorporating all these different things and all these different parties and all these different terms, everyone isn't always on the same page. And that's why kind of reducing things to writing, it just provides clarity um, so that everyone is on the same page about what transaction is actually occurring. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? We missing anything? So, um, yeah. So there's uh, what we talked about warranties kind of aside from just ownership. Um, you know, if, if the seller is making a representation such as that, that the seller is going to be, that the buyers are relying on, for example, doesn't crib, no known maintenances, no vices, any, anything in particular that the seller, that the buyer is really relying on and to make this purchase, you want to in, include that in the contract. And if the seller isn't willing to put that in writing, that's, probably a little red flag to the buyer right um so that so that's warranties you want to make sure um as a fifth point just everyone signs it you want to make sure both you have both the seller and the buyer signing that contract to make to to show that both have read understood and are in agreement to the terms and then just like an ancillary piece of something to consider which i know this is really technically number six but um one thing that i do want buyers and sellers to consider is the risk of the loss. So what is risk of loss? If, for example, I'm a buyer here in Florida, I'm making a purchase of a horse in Minnesota. I've gone out, we've done our pre-purchase, we got our contract drafted, and I send the money. I still don't have that horse. Now the seller has my money and the horse is in Minnesota. The horse has to get to Florida. Well, what happens in the interim, if the horse gets injured, if there's colic, if God forbid he pass, the horse dies, who bears the risk of that loss? Does that automatically transfer to the buyer or does the seller bear some responsibility? Um, what happens kind of who's bearing that risk of injury in that intermittent period? Uh, and one of the reasons that this is also important is that you want to make sure if this is a horse that's insured either, you know, for mortality, major medical, so on and so forth, that each, the buyer and the seller are able to get their coverages in place to, in order to cover that risk of loss. So that's just another thing to be thinking about. It's not always applicable. You know, sometimes you, the buyer might go to the farm and with the trailer and, and leave with the horse, right? But when there's a gap in time, it's just something that's good to be thinking about. Yes, that's the C C Y A. Yes, that makes perfect sense. C Y A. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. One one <laughs> final question. Yeah, one final question for you, Joanna Sheehy. Is there such yeah. an agreement? Does could, could this happen? I'm going to go and buy Thunder. And who should write up the sales contract? Should it be the buyer or the seller? What's better? You know, uh, six of one, a half dozen of the other. Your attorney. <laughs> your attorney. There you go. Right. Um, you know, I, I would say it, it depends on, uh, I don't think there's a better. Okay. Um, I think that if I'm, if I'm the seller, then I'm probably going to be wanting to draft the contract with terms favorable to me. If I'm the buyer, I'm going to want to be dra drafting it with terms favorable to me. Um, you, you know, that I makes perfect sense. A, yeah. <laughs> a best, yeah. I don't think there's a best choice. I think that, that what you want to make sure though, is that both parties are able to have input, um, to come to an agreement that both are happy with. Um, and if you're and, not happy with you know, it, don't, don't sign it. If you're not happy with it, don't sign it. Right. Um, you know, as I said, if 
if you're if you're a buyer and the seller is not willing to you know put in writing that they own the horse and that the thing that, you know it's not a cribber xyz these statements that they, you relied on you're not willing to put it in writing oh that might be a red flag right uh, so, I think um, that that might be the biggest lesson of all because we get we get emotionally attached to that horse the minute we touch his hair and yes. you so you you get the agreement drawn up and if both parties whether you're buyer or seller if if you can't feel comfortable with all of the bullet points in that I'm going to call them bullet points because they're generic just all, all the things in that contract aren't making you happy or if there are things that are in there that they're asking you to sign on that you don't like is it really a good idea to go through with it think about that real hard huh yeah 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 there we go well thank you very much joanna Sheehy, for stopping by and helping us out with some legal pro legal ease and how to keep ourselves from getting into mischief for people who want to stalk you appropriately ask you questions about equine law where can they find you com. You can also find me on LinkedIn uh, where I have a, a profile and the firm has a profile as well. We post, uh, we post about uh, developments in equine law, articles and things like that. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Well, there you have it. Horse Radio Network has thousands of engaging podcasts for horse people, and you can have them sent right to your phone. Just subscribe via your favorite podcast player. This is Coach Jen, and I will be back again soon with another tip. Until then, go ride your horse. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show. <laughs>